0: Well, Super Bowl was this past Sunday.
1: It was. And what a boring one it was.
0: <laughs> well, you were like one of our sports fans in the office. What I loved is is that when we brought in uh, the new class of attorneys, that we got some sports fans, you know, <laughs> and I'm I'm a sports fan. I'm not uh, as obsessive as uh, people in my family, but, you know, I love sports, you know, and I love the fact that you love sports. Um, you're really into football too, right?
1: I mean I'm into it in that I have to watch it every weekend with my boyfriend so you you pick things up and I grew up playing sports so I can't help but get that competitive spirit in but I think I'm more baseball than football. Well, okay. but I know football. My brother played growing up and I was I was dragged to those games so I have a pretty good understanding of the rules.
0: I like the fact that you uh, enjoy baseball because and there's many millennials in our office that like baseball. Which is surprising because uh, people think a lot that the baseball sport is, you know, the old person's sport that's that, you know, used to be America's pastime, but the younger generation doesn't get it. Uh, you know, they think it's boring and yet here you, you are. You oh, like I baseball. Oh, I love
1: it. I, you know, before the pandemic, my favorite thing to do would be watching a Dodger game in a bar, being there, you know, all day with everyone. Yeah. It's so fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I can't wait uh, for this thing to be done so we can go back to the stadium as a group and have some yeah. fun like that.
1: Oh, the first game at Dodger Stadium, that will be that will be something else. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, y- you went to USC. Were you a, a football fan while you were attending there? I mean, so, you went there like what, 7 years?
1: Yeah. So, I was dragged to so I keep saying I was dragged to so many games, but it's true because my dad went to USC as well, and so we, my brother and I were raised as fans. Um and so we were there all, many weekends. So by the time I got to college, I was much more interested in the social aspects of it, um, and I went to very few games. Okay, I mean, I think I got them all out of the way, but I watched all of them. Uh, but I just didn't need to be in the sun. Yeah, all day. you watch them on TV. Yeah, it's, okay. you get a better view as well, I think.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's. I hope that Southern California or even the Pac-12 could rise again. You know, it's been so long since they were dominant. Uh, you know, the Ducks played for a couple of years that were really. It was a really good team. Of course, sc has got a long history of uh, having championships or people that are contending for mm-hmm. championships. But it seems like the SEC is so dominant now that I hate it. I know. You know?
1: We got to back the pack.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, with regard to the the Super Bowl, um, who'd you who'd you watch it with?
1: Um, I watched it. We usually have a big party, and I get very excited. I make. Lots of themed food, and this year it was just my boyfriend and I, his roommate, and his girlfriend sort of a mini, the mini pod we've been doing things with. Um, and we got some ribs, and so it was very special in that we got to finally be social.
0: It sounds like that was a pretty good time. I yeah. mean, you had food and you had company. Um, I'm used to going to my one of my best friends' house. I don't know if you know, know Stevie, do you mm-hmm. know him? I've, yeah, so you know, he's uh, you know. An employment attorney, and he brings in uh, all of his clients, man, from throughout the country. Uh, he actually flies them in, puts them up in hotels, and uh, caters to us for a whole weekend. So we do not only really have the Super Bowl game, but we have a Super Bowl weekend, and it really is like a mini vacation. And It is so much fun, and he he's the most energetic person that you know. I can only do about eighty percent of the events, <laughs> you know, but you know, he does poker. You know, uh, after we you know d- drag through the city and seeing all these great things and stuff, then he has pokerhead starts at like ten or eleven at night. And it goes all the way to five, and I don't know how he does it, but I did miss that this year.
1: Actually, I think you were telling me about that last year, um, and it sounded really fun. Oh
0: my god, I, you have to see pictures of it. I mean, it's just wild. You know, he has this house that's a sports bar. And his wife is an angel, you know, and he's got these big sons, man, that played football for college and stuff. And they're just these really, really nice people and stuff. But it's, uh, you know, you just can't replace that by me and Maria watching it on TV. It's just not the same. (laughs) So uh, today we're going to talk about a very important decision. Mm -hmm. and And it has to deal with who is responsible for paying student loans after a divorce, I mean, a husband and wife, uh, you know, are married. Somebody goes to school, or somebody has student loans that uh, are incurred during the marriage. Who has to pay for that? You know, is it, is it a community debt? Uh, is it you know the person who went to school? You know, so that's what the the real issue is, and uh, I think that this is something that's rarely spoken about. But uh, we're going to talk about a case that really enlightens us on this, right? Definitely. What's the name of the case?
1: Oh, yeah, I knew you were going to throw it to me. So <laughs> it's um, In Remarriage of, and I did write this down phonetically, Mullen Call and Cody Yom Plankil, I uh, believe. I, I Googled it, and I did not get any responses, so this is my best attempt, but I apologize to anyone that I'm that's okay it's way way better
0: than what i could do so uh, why don't you set it up for us what are the facts
1: okay so we have obviously a married couple um they were only married for about three years uh before they were married um she the wife went to medical school um and she either graduated right before they got married or right after they got married i no, i'm sorry it was before they got married um he was living in india which is where they met So she was living in Michigan, and she started her medical career. She then
0: let's stop right there. So they they meet in India. Mm -hmm. They get married, but they don't live together. No, he remains in India. He's not here in the United States, and he's living with or she's living with her parents. Okay, in the state of Michigan. Okay,
1: and then I think it was only I think it was 2014 that he came to California, um, and they were married in 2011. So it was a you know they were long distance for a while. By the time she moved to California um, in May 2013, excuse me, he came and joined her. She was um, still working and making about $200,000 a year. In Michigan, she was making about $225,000 a year. Um, She paid for his immigration fees, which weren't very much um, once he moved here. And she essentially took care of all of the expenses. During that time, she was also paying off her student loans. Um, Some of them were with financial institutions, and some of them were just her parents. Um, And actually, I think her brother a little bit, too.
0: Okay, well, let's slow it down a little bit. You're zipping through this thing. Uh, I love these facts. I want to kind of massage them a little bit. All right. Before she comes to California, I believe she uh, she starts paying off the loans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, hubby is still in India. They're not living together, but they're married. Mm -hmm. So her income during this marriage is considered community property, right? So she's using community funds to pay back her student loans, which she eventually pays them all off, right? To the tune of how much?
1: So um, her institutional loans, I think, came out to $153,000. But she paid about twenty three thousand of those dollars before marriage, so the community um, gave a hundred and thirty thousand dollars.
0: she paid the, com- the community paid back the student loans for mm-hmm. one hundred and thirty three thousand. so this is one of those cases where uh, somebody's using community funds to pay off uh, some student loans right she's living with her parents, so she could do that. I mean mm-hmm. she's probably not paying very much rent or anything, and she's earning a good salary and she's paying this. Does she pay anything else off?
1: She's And then she does pay off the loans to her parents um, in lump sums. Um, one was almost $50,000 and one was $60,000. And that $60,000 was paid um, two days before she met with um, an attorney, which okay. I thought was a little interesting fact. Um, another interesting fact that they don't get into too much is that while the husband was in India, he was working. And so that money would be community as well. There's very little discussion of of that.
0: How much he earned, where the money is, mm-hmm. and he, they also said he had assets in right. India.
1: They don't focus too much on that.
0: Okay. So, and I, maybe we could talk about why. Okay. <laughs> so so from what I understand is is that uh, she pays back more than $100,000 to her parents for personal loans with mm-hmm. community money. Mm-hmm. And then she gets maybe a better position and she moves to California and hubby then Flies to America and takes residence with her in California. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, during that marriage, uh, what kind of work are they doing? So she's
1: working in the medical field. Uh, I'm not specific. I don't specifically know what she's doing, but he's not working at all.
0: She's still working within her profession, mm-hmm. making decent money, mm-hmm. and he's not working at all. No. Okay.
1: And I think. Um, He's also not raising a child at that point. Um, They do have a child at some point towards the end of the marriage. uh, But for the majority of time, uh, you know, he's not being the single parent or anything.
0: You're not calling this guy a couch hubby, are you? No, I just think
1: it's interesting. I I noticed
0: a little bit of an attitude there.
1: No, I think think when you think that someone's not working, you think, well, they must be raising the child – there's no child here. So I, I I did wonder what he was doing.
0: I thought so. You were kind of going, uh, was he watching TV? What, what's this guy doing while she's working, right?
1: I know. So that probably tells you a little bit about how I feel about this case. <laughs> oh, okay. A little bit. <laughs>
0: okay. Well, let's go on then. Okay. So so they have a child?
1: <laughs> they have a child um, towards the end of the marriage. Okay.
0: So if, and at some point, they, they, the marriage doesn't last. That's they have why we're talking. irreconcilable <laughs> differences. And who files for divorce? I
1: think she does.
0: Okay, Actually. she does. Okay, so she files for divorce, and uh, they try to settle the case, and there's an issue that comes up in the mm-hmm. case, and what is it?
1: So the court... Well, the, what's,
0: what's the issue?
1: The trial court... The issue is whether or not the community needs to be reimbursed for um, expenses made towards paying off one of the party's student loans.
0: Okay, and so uh, she's not making that an issue. He's making it an issue, or his attorney Yes. Yeah. So good attorney... And the attorney is saying, wait a minute, Um, you know, during the time that you were, and they weren't married that long, right?
1: I think about three years. Okay.
0: During that time, you paid off these student loans and I'm invoking this code, right? Do you have the code number there? I do.
1: Section 2641. Right. 2641
0: is the provision that we're going to be talking about in this decision. And that code says what?
1: It says the community shall be reimbursed for community contributions to education, including educational education loan repayments. Um, but then it goes on to say that um, there can be reduction or modification of reimbursements to the extent circumstances render such a disposition unjust. And then it goes in further about what some of those ex- exceptions um, are. And it includes where the community has substantially benefited from the education where the education of one party is offset by the education of the other party for which the community also contributed, and um, where the party's education substantially reduces that party's need for support payments.
0: Okay. So some important facts. Also, isn't there like a 10-year rule here? Mm-hmm. What, is that, what is that rule? So
1: That goes to that first point um, where the community has substantially benefited from the education. There's a presumption that if the loans were paid off 10 years ago, that the community substantially benefited from it and then the reverse is true. But with presumptions, you can overcome those. Okay.
0: So we've got this 10-year presumption that if the loans were paid off before uh, 10 years of the marriage, then uh, then it's, the burden's really going to be on the person that wants reimbursement. But right. here it looks like the burden is on the uh, other person because it's mm-hmm. within 10 years. So wife had the burden of proof here to show those things again. Could you state uh, the, the first one again?
1: Um, where the community has substantially benefited from the education.
0: Okay, and wasn't that kind of the... That's the, the main point that okay. they were using. So so he goes in the court and he says the community benefited. I mean, they can't settle the case, so this is in front of a, ju- a trial judge now. Mm-hmm. All right, what was Mom's argument?
1: I think her argument was that um, she was paying all the other expenses. Um, he also knew that she was p- paying back these loans, although it, it's a little unclear how much they, he actually they had like an.
0: They had an oral agreement mm-hmm. that that uh he wouldn't have to be reimbursed for his half of the community. Also, I think that there was um some discussion about, well, I paid for his immigration fees. Right. And I And uh, I took him
1: on a few vacations. Okay. Where
0: did they go on vacation?
1: Like they went to Hawaii and India. Yeah. Um, but even the when they went to Hawaii it was um for a work conference, so part of it was paid for by her employer.
0: Oh, I didn't read that part. Of yeah. It. Okay. Which I
1: thought was interesting. Um and then part of that oral agreement that I thought was interesting was they had a, an understanding that they were going to try to lead a debt-free life, which I think she was trying to argue meant it was OK for her to make these large payments to her parents and that he was basically aware of them because they are going to be living this debt-free life. So he
0: benefited from it because she was frugal and paid off her debt so that they could live this. So he was lucky that she paid off this stuff, right?
1: That's not the argument I am <laughs> making. No, I wouldn't go that far. Um I do think it's a little interesting that she tries to use that argument to say, so of course I could give my parents $60,000 without running it by him. Um, I don't care what position you are in your marriage. I don't think anyone would be She loved her family. She did love her family. She took them on a lot of vacations as well. Talk a little bit about that. So um, she took him on some vacations, but she took her family on a lot of vacations. And she also would... Even for the trips that she would take with her husband, it seemed like her family was coming along as well, um, all being footed by the community.
0: Okay. And so they went on uh, trips to Hawaii, Hawaii,
1: right? India, Las Vegas, cruises.
0: Um, she sent her brother on a couple of trips. He mm-hmm. says, here you go. Here's some checks. So you go on some you trips go. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's a tight-knit family. Definitely. Not, not a question. Um, so she's arguing also that he didn't really contribute either. That Mm -hmm. was part of her argument, right?
1: And that, yeah, she was paying for all the day-to-day expenses.
0: So, you know, it's not fair to have to reimburse him under these circumstances, basically, Mm -hmm. right? So how did the trial court rule?
1: So the trial court ruled in favor of wife um, saying that the community did not need to be
0: reimbursed. Okay. And emphasized, I believe, that this judge particularly emphasized what?
1: That she had been paying for everything. The community had been paying for everything. And
0: he hadn't been working. Yeah right? I mean, it was like, you know, uh, I just don't think it would be fair, uh, the application of this code would be fair under these circumstances where he does nothing, basically. Right. I mean, that's kind of what he said, right?
1: Definitely. Um, and I think on its face, that argument makes some sense um, until you realize the lifestyle they were leading, um, which is something that the Court of, uh, the Court of Appeals uh, brought up because they were... She was paying for a very, very modest lifestyle given the amount of money she was making. So I think it was something like the apartment they were living in was thirteen hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! Which isn't cheap for you know the everyday person, but if you're making two hundred and twenty-five a uh, hundred thousand dollars, that's
0: that's it's a piece of cake. Yeah, yeah, it's easy
1: to make. Um, so. I think if you look at the nuances of this case, it makes more sense why they reversed um, the trial courts.
0: You just just ruined it for spoiler. She's already spoiled it. Okay. It goes up on appeal. See, I want to be dramatic, and you want to get right to it, okay? I know. It's that
1: that law school train. I just want to get my turn done. That's okay. I'm not a
0: law professor, and you won't be absent for the day. So uh, so anyway, I don't know if you had that in law school, but in the law school I went to, if you did not brief the case... Um, and they called on you, and you mm-hmm. had nothing to say. They'd say, "I'm deeming you absent for the day." And mm-hmm. if you had three absences, you were out of the school.
1: We had some of the out of the school. Well, out
0: of the class, I think is uh, yeah. what it was. But I mean, and you they know, they were sticklers. Yeah, I mean, it really was like that. You know, I got called on something once. Um, you know, they, they also said that you couldn't bring in uh, supplemental stuff. You know, and there's all these like old booklets that you could buy and these cheap things. Yeah. So I read this case. It was a it was a property case. But I also wanted to make sure that I understood it. So I got this little thing. And before the professor started lecturing, I was kind of like looking it over. And he spotted that. And he calls on me. He says, uh, Mr. Schweitzer, why don't you recite the facts of this case? <laughs> and uh, I started reciting them. And he goes, yeah, but you got that thing over there right there. And so he started like really probing to see if I really knew the case. And the way that I got out of it, he said uh, and it had to deal with the, the death of one of the guys. He said, what do you think it was with him? Why did he do that? I said, well, I think that he was circling, he knew he was circling the drain, you know, and he just started laughing and everything, you know, and he realized they had read it and he Mm -hmm. gave me a pass. But, uh, yeah, this isn't that, okay? Okay. Long story. You could slow down. You could could build into my dramatic uh, effort here. So can I hear some music, please? It goes up on appeal, okay? Oh, going (laughs) to happen. Suspense, right? And so what did the Court of Appeals say?
1: The Court of Appeals um, reversed the trial court's decision and did rule that, actually this was something i meant to look up before cuz they they found fault with the way the trial court decided but they didn't actually make a ruling that the community um was entitled to reimbursement they said that the trial court had used the wrong standard um so i i meant to look up what has happened to this case i'm sure it's been in litigation for a long time so it's probably sort of moot at this point but i did have that
0: what was question. it was it remanded
1: it just said it's reversed. Yeah, so, so if
0: it's reversed, that means that it's saying, no, uh, she's got to reimburse. But it had to have been remanded somewhat, right? Oh, you
1: know what? The matter is remanded with directions to order wife to reimburse the community for community funds. But okay, Yeah. So, sorry yeah. for that detour. I It had been on my mind, and if I had just read the conclusion more yeah. carefully. Yeah. But they did find a lot of fault with the way that the trial court went about its decision. Um. So I do wonder if the trial court had maybe maybe come to the same decision, but use some different, um, logic. I wonder if they would have reversed it. Oh, possibly. Or remand, yeah. Well,
0: let's talk about what some of the faults that the court of appeal found.
1: So the biggest one, and I think it's really interesting is, um, this, it begins with this idea of community property that money made during the marriage is the communities, regardless of who makes it. And that's a very basic tenant of property and or community or property in California. Um, the, court of appeals found that the trial court was basically saying that the non-working party the husband in this case had to earn his right to this reimbursement or to the community and so they're using that argument that you were you know cheekily using as well that he wasn't doing anything so he really didn't earn a right to it and that
0: so you're telling me that a spouse could be a couch potato not work not even a penny because in this case he didn't earn a penny but he's still entitled to reimbursement yes. pursuant to this code, right? Yes. And is that, is that what the court of appeal said? Basically, yes. Yeah, and that's what it says that the code says, right? Because right. the code specifically says that I believe that you know the court can't deny it based on on that purpose. What else?
1: Um, so that's the biggest one, um, and then they also they found that I don't know if this will be as interesting to our viewers and listeners, but um, the standard of the review they said, fell in the middle of de novo and abusive discretion, which you don't always see.
0: Um, so I thought that was... And how is that important?
1: Um, so if it's reviewed on de novo, that means the Court of Appeals just gets to look at the case, fresh eyes, not really even look at what the trial court did. Look at the
0: facts, right? Yeah. And, and kind of weigh the facts themselves, they right? get
1: Yeah, they're making the decision from, you know... Point 0.0, I guess, you know, just from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Um, abuse of discretion is a higher standard, and it's much more difficult if the Court of Appeals has to use that standard to reverse a decision. Um, they have to find that the trial court, as the name suggests, abused its discretion, and basically no logical person would or logical court would have ruled this way. Um, so finding that the standard, of review in, the standard of review is in the middle, it's in- interesting and also frustrating because it's going to be difficult to um, you know, use this case or get a bright line rule, which we all obviously want and Wait, rarely The way get. that
0: I looked at it is it was a factual analysis and it's kind of held to its own facts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have to, if you're going to cite this case in fact for factual purposes, you have to find something that's quote unquote on point, right. right? I mean, or close to it. And in this case, what you have is, uh, a, you know, an upper middle class income. You have a short term marriage, somebody paying off a fairly large amount of, of loans during the marriage that were separate property mm-hmm. loans. You know, that's kind of the case that you'd have to have in order to right. really rely on this decision. Right? right. But, but what the appellate court did is, is it looked at these facts and it said, oh, no, you know, I mean, the community did not benefit. And that's going back to that first point, I think is, is that they, the trial court is supposed to see whether or not the community really benefited mm-hmm. from this income. Or was that income defrayed because you were paying off these loans? And Mm -hmm. and in this case, that's what the Court of Appeals said, right?
1: Yeah, and they were looking a lot at the standard of living that the husband, or I guess both of them, were enjoying during this time. You know, she's getting this huge benefit of paying off, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And the benefit towards the community is, you know, the $1,300 apartment.
0: What about the uh, argument that she said, hey, you know what, you – you shouldn't apply this code because he and I had an agreement. You know, it's wrong. It's completely unfair for you to uh, hold me to this when we had a prior agreement that he would not want to be reimbursed for this.
1: So the statute is pretty clear, um, and I know they talk about it at the end, that um, you need it to be expressed and written. And, you know, there's just no getting around that. You, you know, having an oral agreement is not a written agreement, and you, I don't care how good your facts are. You're not going to win that
0: argument. Okay. All right. Well, um, any lessons that you learned from this?
1: Well, I actually have a question for you. Okay. Um, You know, we were talking about how this is pretty fact-specific. Do you think the court would have ruled differently if she had been paying off less of her student loans and they were enjoying a higher standard of living? Well,
0: it depends, obviously, obviously, you know, but yeah, I think that that could be the case. I think so too. You know, I mean, he did enjoy, He in that case, he would enjoy the benefits of her education right. and he could make a more uh, colorful argument. And the uh, Court of Appeal probably would defer to the trial court more yeah. at that point, right? I think so. Yeah.
1: And then you could, you know, she paid off, you know, a fourth of it, and he's living in, I don't know, the $5,000 apartment, (laughs) I think you could make an argument that the community definitely benefited from her education.
0: Yeah. So this is really applicable to a lot of uh, people out there now that have massive student loans. Mm -hmm. You know, um, unfortunately, we're in this time period where people go to college, and uh, the student loans dwarf what people in my generation had. When I left uh, college, I had uh, a whopping seven thousand five hundred dollars, and uh, how are you going to get out of that? <laughs> and I think I got some assistance on that from the police department. Uh, you know, so it wasn't a big deal. My law school was, you know, it wasn't cheap for the time, but I still was able to pay it mm-hmm. off. Nowadays, people are coming into these marriages. $200,000 debt. I mean, it's it's really a scary thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what happens if they're paying off that student loan debt, and they never really live according to their income, and at the end of a marriage, there's this massive amount of reimbursement.
1: Just going to be in more debt at that point, it seems.
0: Maybe, maybe premarital agreements uh, make more sense.
1: I think so. And I think, as we talked about, you know, those oral agreements don't mean anything in this context. So you know, I think there's a stigma around prenuptial agreements sometimes. There shouldn't be, I don't think, yeah. because the way the law is written, they're necessary a lot of times.
0: Yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, I, when I bring in clients that either want a premarital agreement or the other side does, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I, I read them or, you know, what their rights are. I let them know that what they're waiving. I'll advocate strongly for them if they don't like what's proposed or what the other side is saying. But ultimately, you know, I'm kind of a middle-of-the-road type of person. Uh, I do think that premarital agreements sometimes cause stress in a relationship because it shifts power. There's a lot. There's something to argue about that could get really ugly, um, you know. So, so you know, I see problems sometimes with premarital agreements. But in this case, if somebody's coming in with a massive amount of money like this, and they're paying it over a ten or twenty-year marriage, well, actually, that wouldn't apply. Let's say that the marriage was nine years, you know, um, mm, you know, I, that, that's a tough one. Uh, so, you know, uh, drink lots of champagne, go on vacations, give, rack up your credit card, get in more debt so you don't have to reimburse, right? Exactly. That's what
1: they want us to take from this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, the uh, the decision is one of the very few decisions that you're going to see regarding student loans.
1: Oh, I am aware. I was doing some research on student loans and there is not a lot of information out there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, or just this this code. I mean, they're, you know, you, they don't cite to a lot of cases here. The, you know, and they even say that there's a dearth of decisions yeah. on this issue. But this might be one of the issues that we're going to see often, and people that come to us are going to have. So I think so. I, I, I appreciate your your scholarly uh, efforts to, you know, educate people on this. And uh, you know, I can't wait to see you speak at the next time we're (laughs) gonna gonna have another case for you sometime soon very excited thank
1: you thank you (laughs)